Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous chip-eating co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Actually, I'm looking at them now. They're crackers. You said chips before. I Re- said <laughs> chips. No, I did, because I was eating Doritos earlier, but I switched to the crackers at some point, and I didn't notice. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, today, I didn't do that just to swerve on him. I seriously have, am now eating crackers. I, 100% I he did. Head cannon accepted. Uh, so today we're going to be answering uh, hopefully more than one question. We'll see. Uh, we got a very, very long one that actually is very, very interesting uh, from Emberblade, who is, happens to be a Dark Iron warrior. Uh, Emberblade has a plenty of questions about, well, dark iron so we figured hey why don't we answer as many of those as we can so we're gonna we'll take some pauses in between and and the the myriad of questions uh and answer them as best we can uh but it starts with greening watchers i have a number of related questions about dark iron and black rock mountain and i hope you find some of them interesting well we found most of them interesting so there you go so black rock mountain pre-cataclysm there were dark irons and black rock orcs who hated each other hated the alliance and hated the horde then, during the Cataclysm, some of the Dark Irons joined the Alliance, some of the Black Rocks joined the Horde, and the remaining decided that they didn't hate each other anymore. So what caused the internal schisms in both groups, and what made the ones who were left behind ally with each other? What changed? My only theory is that Deathwing's return made the Black Rock Dragonflight and the Fire Elementals ally together. But what was their beef with each other before that? Okay, um, <clears throat> this is complicated. Essentially. And this this requires a, a little bit of backstory here. The the Blackrock Clan was the clan of the then War Chief Rend Blackhand, uh, not Rend Blackhand. I'm sorry, Blackhand himself, the the father, the original Blackhand, yes. Rend's Rend and Mame's father. He was there. The Blackrock were were his clan and Orgrim Doomhammer's clan. And when Orgrim Doomhammer turned and murdered uh, Blackhand and became War Chief, most of the Blackrock fell in line under him. Some of them, however, fell in line under his sons, Mame and Rend. Mame and Rend had been aged into adulthood by warlocks. So yeah. they, they went from like being little children to being full-fledged adults. As you might expect from that experience, their impulse control wasn't great. I mean, they're orcs. They're orc toddlers. They're orc toddlers who've been turned into seven and a half foot tall killing machines but never actually educated or anything. So they still kind of think like toddlers. Mame and Rend wanted to kill Orgrim for what he did to their dad, but they weren't really good at hiding that. So Orgrim basically banished them and their supporters. He was like, you go be over there. I don't have time for your crap. And that's what led to the Blacktooth Grin clan. Now, the Blacktooth Grin clan is actually what the Blackrock orcs in that mountain are. Yes, the reason they're called Blackrock at this point is because all the other Blackrock orcs 
kind of had a problem at the end of the uh, second war, the uh, orcs had advanced up to what is now Lordaeron. And that's exact the exact moment where Gul'dan grabbed his various followers and took off across the ocean to try and find the uh, tomb of Sargeras. And he did, but it didn't work out for him. That's not really related to this. But as a result, the core of the Blackrock clans, a core that was like loyal to Orgrim, had to like close up around him to try and keep him safe as they retreated from Lordaeron. And they retreated all the way down the continent mm-hmm. until they got to Blackrock Mountain, which they thought was a good omen. You know, they, they'd... They'd inhabited Black Rock Mountain before. They they were like, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll make our stand here, and it looked like it was going really well. Um, Doomhammer and his his honor guard uh, killed Anduin Lothar. Some say it was an ambush. Uh, some say it wasn't. That's because the canonical ending has never been established. <laughs> uh, but regardless, Lothar fell. <clears throat> uh, in the book, this is when Taralyon, who was a paladin but who had been following Lothar as his like second in command picked up Lothar's broken sword and just went nuts. Uh, he went ham on the horde, basically. And almost all the Black Rock who were trying to defend Orgrim died because Turalyon was a beast and he nearly killed all of them. And he was really quite incensed at their even presence on Azeroth because, as he pointed out, they were alien. They were not from Azeroth. They weren't supposed to be there as far as he was concerned. And so he nearly killed everybody. Uh, in the end, he managed to stop himself, and they captured Orgrim Doomhammer. If you ever wonder how Doomhammer ended up, you know, wandering the woods alone by himself, it's because he got caught on top of Black Rock Hill, uh, Mountain, and all of his loyalists got killed. Which meant that the only remaining Black Rock orcs were the ones from the Black Tooth Grin. Which and were, they didn't. Were, see- if I remember correctly, they were they were originally spun off as like almost like a scouting party, weren't they? Yeah, it was basically, uh, I want to keep you out of my way. I want you not to be a problem for me. So, so I'll send you ahead you of time. Yeah, I'll send, you, I'll send you up ahead, and if you die, it's not a big loss for me. Yeah, Mame and Rend were, they knew they hated Orgrim and they wanted to kill him, but they also really liked killing everybody else. And as long as they were basically being used in this way, they were happy enough. But with the rest of the Blackrock clan, effectively, the ones on Azeroth just wiped out. The ones on Draenor were still there, obviously, but the ones on Azeroth were wiped out. The Black Tooth Grin were the only real Blackrock orcs left in Azeroth. They retreated into the mountain and grabbed hold of what they could hold. The, the In fact, this is interesting because Blackrock Mountain had originally been taken by Gul'dan's followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Cho'Gal and the various Shadow Council followers of Gul'dan. So they were gone because Gul'dan had pulled them all out in order to go at- to find the Tomb of Sargeras. So there was a big space of the mountain that had been recently held that the black, the dark irons had not gotten a chance to go back up and try and take. So they basically just settled in. And as to how they became servants of the black Dragonflight, it's really simple. Deathwing's uh, son, Nilfarian showed up and said, serve me or die. And they were like, okay, but not, not just serve me and die, serve me or die, but serve me or die. But if you serve me, I'll give you some really cool stuff to do. Yeah, you like riding dragons, right? I, I've got I'll, I'll, I've got these special, you know, chromatic dragons. I've got a rookery. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got a rookery at your disposal. Yeah, we can work together. That, but uh, but pay, make no mistake, I'm in charge, and if you push it, I will kill you. But if you don't push it, I can be a really kind and benevolent leader to you. Not to everybody, but to you, I can do that. And they they went with it because why wouldn't they? At this point, though, Mame had been killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I can't remember why how Mame died. I don't even know if it's ever been brought up. Um, I do you don't know? think so. Yeah, but I'm actually looking it happened, up. Go ahead and go look it up. Whatever happened to Mame, Rend was the only one left. And it, at this point, Rend had had a few years under his belt. So he'd grown out of the terrible twos and was actually starting to be not an, not a really great leader, but he was getting there. Like he was actually becoming a threat to the Horde. That was, it wasn't that they hated the Horde. They specifically hated Thrall. Because he was Orgrim Doomhammer's apprentice, and they hated Doomhammer, so they hated Thrall because Thrall was like essentially Doomhammer too, and they they didn't want that, and they didn't want to, they didn't get the whole idea of a horde with like Torin and trolls in it. Like, what is that? The horde is orcs. Like, oh. occasionally we made me deals with or- with trolls, but go ahead. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, so cool. the, backtracking a little bit, this kind of makes a little bit of sense. So originally, when the the orcs retreated back to to uh, Black Rock Mountain, they struck a deal with the Dark Iron Dwarves, a temporary truce where the Dark Iron would kind of like leave the upper trenches alone because they couldn't afford to fight and the orcs couldn't afford to fight. So it was somewhere like a mutual, 
uh, sort of like ceasefire. Yeah, under Choval, but, wasn't it? Uh, I don't remember if it was under Choval or not. But regardless, what wound up happening was that deal was never intended to be in place forever. One, Both of the sides were planning on essentially flipping on the other to take the entirety of the mountain. And uh, Etrig actually does explain what happened. So there was a constant conflict not open warfare, but constant conflict between the Dark Iron Dwarves and the uh, the the black uh, the black well, the Black Rock Orcs. And what eventually happened is once they pushed the the Dwarves down and out of the city again and back down to the lower reaches, and with the assistance of some dragons, uh, Mame died in that conflict. That was the moment when Mame died. So that's why party partially probably why there was some continued bad blood between the black orcs and the dwarves, uh, because if Rend is in charge of the black rock mountain orcs, uh, you're probably not going to be too happy with the folks that killed your brother. Yeah, exactly. Especially since at this point that was all he had left. Griselda was dead. His father was dead. So yeah, <clears throat> but so that's basically how you end up with the, the black rocks serving the black dragon flight. Um, in terms of why, they were fighting the, the dark irons. That was, there's a whole deal about the dark irons, but I'm trying to figure out how to digest this down, but we'll, we'll go back to the war of the three hammers and we'll try and do this super fast. Joe, do you want to start or do you want me to do it? Please go right ahead. Okay. War of the three hammers. Originally the, the dwarves of iron forge were ruled by the anvil Mark land and the anvil Mark land had the high kingship and that lasted for exactly one anvil Mar. Uh, when his son was going to come of age, the, the, Bronzebeard clan were like, we're not supporting him. We're not going to, your, 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 your line will no longer be Kings. We're going to take the throne. We'll honor you. We'll, we'll give you a permanent place in the Senate. Your, your line will always have place in the Senate and you know, your, your names will be applied to things, but Modimus was great, but we're not, we're not taking any other Anvil Mars. However, this caused strife in Ironforge. Not everybody mm-hmm. wanted the Bronzebeards in charge. In fact, Two thirds of dwarves did not want the Bronzebeards in charge. Um, the Wildhammer and Dark Iron clans both existed at the same time as the Bronzebeards. All three clans had basically formed during the reign of the Anvilmar. And when the Anvilmar were gently deposed, the Wildhammer didn't actually particularly want to fight about it. They just left. Well, they it was one of those yeah. things. They were in, they were in charge of the the uh, aviary stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, like for yep. anybody who doesn't know who the Wildhammer are. They are the wild riders. They are the Griffin riders that you see from all the RTS games. They're in charge of that sort of like running messages back and forth. They were part and parcel with keeping the empire running. Essentially the Dwarven kingdom relied on them a lot of ways to sort of uh, make sure everybody was still well communicated and everything else. And they were a very tribal, very shamanistic society of clan of, of, of very nature attuned dwarves that didn't want anything to do with any of the political strife. They didn't care. They just, they just, they knew that that was not what they wanted. We're done. War's over. We're going to go back to our huts. We're going to go back to our rookeries. Uh, we're going to go back and make sure that we're raising uh, our families and, and our, you know, birds and doing it the, the way we want to. We're not going to bother you, but don't bother us. We got our own stuff to deal with. Yeah. Like basically under the Anvil Mars, the, uh, the, the wild hammers were an integrated part of the Dwarven kingdom. When the, when the uh, Bronzebeards tried to take over the loyalty that the, the uh, Wildhammers felt towards the Anvilmars did not extend to the Bronzebeards. Mm-hmm. There was no reason like we made deals. We made, we made pledges. We served. We're not going to serve you. That's not, you know, if you want, if, if the kingdom wants us, it puts an Anvilmar on the throne. If it doesn't do that, we're gone. And, this, and they left. And this all happened, what, about 250 some odd years before the Dark Portal? A uh, little more, because there's there's more to it. This is closer to 400. Because this part, um, the only real conflict at this part was the Dark Irons attempted to actually seize power. The Dark mm-hmm. Irons were kind of the mystical shadow dwelling. You know, they, they, they were into occultism and secrecy and so forth. They were like, okay, well, if, if somebody can just appoint themselves heads of the kingdom... Why shouldn't it be us? Why should it be you? Um, just because you have connections, just because you know the Anvil Mars, uh, just because the Anvil Mars like are related to you? Um, no, I don't see any reason you should be in charge. I don't see why we shouldn't. And so they they basically, the Bronzebeards were sitting there controlling the army and most of the seats of power. The 
the wild hammers left with their transport network and all that. They just left and it wasn't like they could stop them. What are they going to do? Chase them on their Rams. They flew away. And, and this is before and, the, and this is before the, the gnomes started coming around with the flying yep. machines and the tram system and all this stuff too. This didn't exist yet. Any of the things that the gnomes were doing was papping a gnome gone and didn't really affect the dwarves at this time. The the dark irons made a pretty solid push. They had the sorcery that the, the, the Bronzebeards didn't have. They lacked the numbers and they didn't control the army. In the end, rather than get wiped out fighting inside uh, Ironforge, the Dark Irons retreated. Mm-hmm. And their, the leader, um, who at the time was just named Thorasam, we don't know what his first name was, took his people and left. About 150 or so years later, the Dark Irons decided, okay, we've had all this time. Like They retreated south to what is now Blackrock Mountain. It, at the time, it was still Blackrock Mountain. But they built a city not in the mountain. They built a city in the foothills around the mountain called Thorasan. Wasn't that after, actually still Redridge at that time? Because it hadn't blown up. It hasn't gone. It was still it the, no. Feral. It was the mountains. It wasn't actually Redridge, but it was the mountains next to Redridge. But it was just mountains. It wasn't like the destroyed nightmare place it is now. Um, there's that another question later, later on. Yeah, that comes. There's another question in this thing that that asks about that. So I'm actually going to flip down to that. Sure. Uh, the question that this person asked. La 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 da da da. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, this person uh, is. I, Amina, Amina, I think Amina, uh, I'm sorry that you don't have a pronunciation guide here. I'm doing the best I can. Um, but Amina asks, if you have downtime, I was curious if the searing gorge slash badlands slash burning steps has always looked the way they do. Uh, did they ever look like Dunmoreau or Lachmadon? <clears throat> and the answer is yes. Yep. And that's coming up. We're going to be talking about that. So I just wanted to let you know where we're going there. Uh, the, uh, dark irons decided, We've had all this time. We went down here. We built this this old kingdom of our own, and we, we're pretty proud of it. We're, we're it's a good kingdom. But why? You know, we've had all this time. We've built up our sorcery. We've learned uh, our our leader's son Dagron is now in charge. Um, he's got his wife. Uh, oh bloody heck! I can't remember her name. Modris, Ma, Ma, Mod, Mod Good. Good. Yeah, Mod I can Good, never yes. pronounce that name. He's got his wife Modgood, and she's found this magical dagger that's really powerful. And the two of them think they can actually take both <clears throat> Ironforge. Yeah, Zalatath. If you're a, a priest, it's it's your knife. Uh, she was she was macking on Modgood when you when you were even born yet. Uh, but they decided they had a plan, and what they were going to do was they were going to attack both Ironforge and the Wildhammers in their Grim, main fortress, Grim Batal. Yeah. They were going to attack both fortresses at once. So that and, neither and, could come to the aid of the other one. Yeah, exactly. And what's crazy is this almost worked. Like, they almost did it. Um, Modgood was just unstoppable for a while. It wasn't until the head of the Wildhammer clan basically went out himself, fought his way through all of her guardians, and when she went to smite him down with her magic knife, she found out it was suddenly gone. It yeah, had just vanished. It abandoned her in the middle of the counterattack, which allowed mm-hmm. the which allowed the Wildhammers to essentially kill her, cutting off the head of the snake. Mm-hmm. And like, when they did that, the, the wild ham- the, the wild hammers now had the advantage. The dark irons began to retreat. At the same time, the Bronzebeards, uh, specifically the father of Magni. Um, oh, what are the other two names? Bron, Magni, and I can't remember the third guy. <laughs> I but the yeah, regardless, the, the father of the three Bronze Hammer, you know that would we would all know today. Um, he managed to fight off the Dark Iron attack led by Dagrin. Uh, Dagrin retreated rather than get his head smashed in with a giant hammer. Uh, so, but, you know, he, he actually did love his Ron. wife. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, but unlike, you know, he did actually love his wife. They, they were actually in love. It wasn't just that they both were evil and liked to conquer things. They wanted to found their own dynasty. They, they, he loved her. And so when he found out she was dead, he was driven to like into almost madness by grief and fury that they killed his wife. So, but yeah. they were chasing them down this whole time. They were chasing them down into what is now the, the blasted lands, but at but the it, time was just not, it was just mountains. Yeah. So, and this is one of those interesting things that I, th- I think is, is sort of always, I don't want to say glossed over, but you got to understand like his, his armies were completely smashed and broken. His wife is dead. Uh, all both of his attempts have have backfired to the point where now both clans are breathing down his neck 
in his own stronghold, in his place of power, in in his place of respite where he is he is basically kept his clan safe. And so he's backed up against the wall, desperate, angry. And so what does he do? He attempts a powerful conjuration, a last ditch effort with ancient runes and texts and things that he had found summoning the Fire Lord Ragnaros. And upon his arrival, Theresean and that entire landscape is blasted into fiery doom. The Wildhammers and the, the Bronzebeards have to retreat. Uh, anybody who isn't lost in the initial blast runs as far away as they can, as fast as they can. Look at that land. They were caught in there. That, that's why there's skulls and skeletons and bones strewn out everywhere. And yeah. the Searing Gorge and the Blasted Lands are the two different sides of this explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Rock Mountain was between them. It was the epicenter. It was the center point. Yeah. So the, the fact that Black Rock Mountain was there is the only reason the Searing Gorge isn't worse mm-hmm. than it is. Um, and it essentially shielded. I think it, no, it's the other way around. The Searing Gorge is actually where he touched down. That's the actual scar of his impact. And the, the mountain shielded some of the blasted land, so it's not quite as bad. But it's still very bad because it just went right around the freaking mountain. Um, but yeah, when, when, De- when uh, I was when I say Deathwing, but I don't mean Deathwing. When Ragnaros appeared on Azeroth, a great deal of his power erupted forth in this massive explosion. And it directly destroyed the Searing Gorge and the blasted lands. And the plume of like ruin and ash and destruction coated the Badlands. That's why, if you notice, when you go from the Badlands to Dunmoreau, there's that tunnel mm-hmm. they built into the mountain. That's because it was not passable anymore. Mm-hmm. Like in order to get to and from that area, they needed to dig a giant tunnel in the rocks because the whole place was covered in like in ash and sand and detritus, and it's never recovered. Yeah, and, it, and if anything, it's only gotten worse over the years too, especially with the way that elementals have been running rampant with Ragnaros's mm-hmm. uh, ebb and flow of power. Uh, I mean, it's it's been pretty bad. The interesting things that come out of that, though, is the end result of sort of like the relationship with the the clans is sort of at its what we come into uh, when World of Warcraft starts, really, um, which is now the surrounding landscape's completely decimated. Uh, but the Wildhammers and Bronzebeards having basically having to band together to take out uh, the Dark Iron Dwarves and basically put them back in their box, now start talking again. They start having yeah. friendly interactions because nothing unites people like a common enemy. When um, you go to Dunmoreau, there's a statue of two dwarves holding weapons crossed against each other's arms, like, you know, in a, in a sign of solidarity. That's the yes. father of Magni and Bronn and the father of the current Wildhammers. Yeah. So, uh, and so those two decided, you know, maybe we don't want to live in the same kingdom, but you're not that bad. I won't be I won't be ruled by you, but we can trade and and you can pay us to do stuff for you. That's fine. Um, but this also happens around the time where at this point everything that happened, everything with the Dark Irons, has completely irreparably cursed Grim Batal. Um, the Wildhammers can't go back to their city, and Grim Batal is not a small place. It is a massive. Grim Batal is place. comparable to Ironforge. They it, actually built a place at least as big as Ironforge. Exactly. Um, that was the whole point. Like the Ironforge, Grim Batal, and the Black Rock. Uh, mountain they were all originally exactly the same like that was their goal they were supposed to be capital cities right of the dwarven civilization i don't know if i would say exactly the same but definitely well when when they dark built theirs their intention was ours will be better yes and when the wild hammers built theirs they were like i'm not going to let you show us up so each of them went in in different directions with it but yeah if you look at grimbatal look at the inside of it when you're running it if you're running into the dungeon sometime Look around at the area fun. and you'll realize it's it's huge. Non-lore fact, but fun fact, Grim Batal actually uses the updated version of the original files for Ironforge. Ironforge actually was much bigger when they were originally starting to put it into the game, and it looked closer to Grim Batal with the multiple levels that you could actually fall to your death on, uh, and then they decided to change it and bring it smaller into scope. But uh, regardless... These places were massive. This is why they are massive when you go and run them. This is why when you go into Black Rock Mountain to run any of the dungeons or raids, there are so many of them, and it is so massive. Um, yeah. The Black Rock City, the, the one that the, dwar- the dwarves made, went all the way. The, if There's multiple raids and dungeons that are basically built out of sections of it. Mm-hmm. 
and like all the parts that the Blackrock orcs held and the parts that the Dragonflight hold, those were originally dwarven. Uh, the part that you go into as Blackrock Depths, also part of the original dwarven construction. And uh, in terms of the, the question as to why they, they started getting along is that they didn't. Uh, it wasn't that they got along. Do you want to fight dwarves that have that are under the thumb of a fire elemental lord? Yeah. It, uh, more importantly, though, when Deathwing came forth again in Cataclysm, as you pointed out, um, I'm trying to think of how to explain this part. Magni's daughter, uh, Moira, had fallen in love with with the the, the younger the, the son of the, the Thorason that had blown the place up. The two of them had, you know, he had tre- he had had her kidnapped initially, but unlike everybody else from Ironforge who basically just treated her as like a trophy or her father's daughter and never really looked at her for herself, he valued her for her and he talked to her and they had conversations and they both they both had like it's kind of similar resentments against their parents. Really? Interestingly enough though, like just to point this out, like Wildhammer and Dark Iron seem to not care about gender as much as the Bronzebeard. That's also true. And that's very much from the, the, the Bronzebeard family mm-hmm. and specifically uh, Wildhammers and Dark Irons, you know, women, man, whatever, it doesn't matter. But to the Bronzebeards, Magni was super obsessed with having a son. An heir because of what yeah. happened with the War of the Three Hammers. He didn't want that to happen yeah. again. But he wouldn't accept his daughter as his heir. Had to be a son. And that's why he basically, he drove Moira away. So when she was kidnapped, it wasn't hard for Dagren to, to basically, you know, sympathize with her. Yeah, my dad was horrible too. Uh, you know, I, I mean, granted, Dagren wasn't a nice person, but he understood how she felt and he respected her opinion. And as a result, they fell in love because here was somebody who was actually treating Moira Bronzebeard like the Moira part was more important than the Bronzebeard part. I think and I think I think before we start moving into this, there there are I think two other the, the two other sections of questions we should probably read them off as before we continue in. So I'm going to do that real okay. quick here. Um, so the uh, the other part of the question was, uh, and what's the deal with the Dark Iron anyway? Which is what we're dealing with right now. I first started playing at the beginning of Legion, and when I leveled my Dwarf Warrior through Dunmoro, I took Commander Stonebreaker at his world a word and thought that Moira was a subversive. Many years later, I leveled a Dark Iron Warrior. Through those same quest lines, and I thought that Commander Stonebreaker was slandering Moira, and that she was genuinely angry that Ambassador Slaghammer betrayed her. Which one is correct? And I think this leads into what we're talking about here with Moira and what type of person she is. Yes. Yeah. So Moira, you know, united with with Dagrin, they fell in love. They got married legally in Dark in the Dark Iron Society. They are they were legally married. That's yep. important. She's Empress. Um, so when we come down to rescue her. And we kill Dagrun. If you ever run Black Rock Depths, that's what happens. Canonically, you you kill him. And she's like, no, you morons. He was my husband. That's why I helped him. I wasn't being mind controlled. I was here by and choice. Like, yeah. And you're like, oh, oh, that's awkward. Well, I guess we're going to go tell Magni. Uh, yeah, your daughter wanted to be there. Cut to Cataclysm. All the bad stuff is happening in the world. The various clans are doing various things. Everybody's everyone's up in a tussle. Magni decides that he has to figure out why this is happening. And he's going to use a ritual they found in Ulduar to do it. Because apparently dwarf kings doing rituals they don't understand is just something that happens from time to time. Genetically coded. Yeah. Magni does the ritual and it works entirely too well. He is transformed into a motionless diamond. And suddenly Ironforge has no king. Uh, however... While they're all kind of in a tizzy trying to figure out what just happened, Moira returns and points out, I'm heir to Ironforge and and uses her dark irons to basically enforce martial law on the place. And when Rin happens to be there at the time, Varian Rin doesn't take his son being, you know, captured lightly and shows well, up with a bunch of SI7 guys. When we say I was going to say, when we say military rule, we do mean lockdown. Like at this point, yeah. she has effectively removed Iron Forge from communication with the Alliance entirely. Nothing mm-hmm. in, nothing out. And as a result of that, you know, like Anduin's there at the time. So now she's, she has dinner with him and she's not like super rude. And he even kind of gets, he understands her problems because he's never had, he's not had the best relationship with his dad either. 
So he, you know, he gets that, you know, okay, you have your reasons for this. I'm sure we can talk through it. And just as he's kind of getting her to the point where she's willing to accept that, Varian comes busting in with a bunch of assassins and wipes the floor with her people and it's like gonna kill her. And anyone's like, you can't kill her. She's the heir. You know, she may be being a jerk at the moment, but she's right. This, this, you know, she is the, 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 the head of Ironforge. And that's, a, and that's a hell of a moment, too, because she hears, she hears Anduin tell her father or his father she's right. And that's the first time anybody's ever said that. <laughs> other than her dead husband. Yeah. Other than her dead husband. So as a result of this, Varian does what he absolutely has no right to do, but everyone just lets him do it because they're really afraid of him. Quite frankly, he is kind of the Alliance's garage, quite frankly. I'll be upfront with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he decides there's going to be a council of hammers. There's not going to be one of them will lead. You're going to have a Bronzebeard representative, a Wild Hammer representative, and a Dark Iron representative, which will be Moira because she's the Empress of, of the Dark Irons, which is ironic that she's like a pureblood Bronzebeard, but she's not going to be the Bronzebeard representative. But at any rate, that comes back uh, later. One, yeah, her uncle, one of her uncles, I forget which one. Um, Modi, Modi? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, he's the one who's in charge of the bronze beards. Uh, the wild hammers get that guy. Falstead is Falstead, right? Falstead. Yeah, he he's in charge of the wild. Which the almost wild wasn't Falstead, but thank you, Redshirt guy. Yeah, but yeah, the, so the three of them start a council to to run Ironforge, and at first Moira. Moira's idea of how to do politics comes from the the Dark Irons because she was never allowed to under the bronze beards. Mm-hmm. And the Dark Irons were ruled by Ragnaros for a very long time, uh, and by you know through through lots of other crazy you know um, minions from the Twilight's Hammer. Although it is and interesting they, to note that the Dark Irons were the ones that had a Senate out of all of them. Yeah, no, 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 that's not true. Uh, the Bronzebeards had a Senate as well. I thought they didn't. I thought they just had nope. like a, an advisory they, council. The, nope, they had an actual Senate. Uh, the the Anvilmar family holds a traditional permanent seat in it. Everybody else is elected, but the Anvilmar family are just in it. That that was the concession that the Bronzebeards made to the Anvilmars so that the Anvilmars accepted the uh, the coup with little struggle. They didn't bother to try to fight it. They didn't try to unify people under them and fight the Bronzebeards. They just said, all right, we'll, we'll just let you do it. And the, the, the concession was, well, you'll get a permanent Senate seat. Okay, then. Yeah. Um, I know this because I used to be a real big fan of the the Thargus Anvilmar, the, the dwarf uh, character from yeah. the comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I like Thargus. He was my favorite dwarf. Um, but to get back to where we were going with this, because that's how Moira learned how to do politics. She she learned through the Dark Irons, who her husband had had to deal with the Twilight's Hammer his entire life. He'd been propped up as a leader after his father was destroyed in the explosion that you know signified Ragnaros's return to Azeroth. And the molten core was like literally in the heart of the mountain. Uh, he'd had to deal with this his whole life. And so he learned how to be very duplicitous because he had to be. I'm not Again, not defending him. I'm not saying that, that, da- that Dagrin Tharasan was a good person. I'm just saying that that's, that's the that's what happened. upbringing he had. Yeah. So he taught Moira how to lead. So she picked it up. That's how she, that's how she learned. If you want to talk about the blood and the snow thing, uh, or if you want to talk about I don't think you read the, the blood and the snow thing yet. Did you not yet? But we, I can read that off right now. I think go so. ahead and read that. And then we'll, we'll move into this. So blood in the snow is a scenario that existed during Pandaria. And the question here is, uh, I know that there was blood in the snow incident during Pandaria, but even that can be read in two ways. The surface reading is that Moira is fully committed to the Alliance. The other is that she cleverly took advantage of the situation and committed her forces, knowing that the other two clans wouldn't commit because they were afraid of her. In other words, she was the only reason they looked bad while she came out looking. This is true. Both are true. Both of those true readings are true. Moira does believe in the Alliance. Moira actually gets along very well with Anduin. Yes, very much so. Uh, and before that, she she came to an understanding with Varian. I wouldn't say she liked him because he almost murdered her. You yeah, never really never like somebody. Like yeah, you're never going to like somebody <laughs> who almost murders you. But she understood him. And that's one of the things about Moira. Her time amongst the Dark Irons has not turned her into a Dark Iron. She's not. But she does understand them. Moira is very good at understanding people. She understands how to play the game, how to play it certain ways. When you're talking about the original quest where uh, Commander Stonebreaker thought Moira was a subversive, mm-hmm. she was. Absolutely, she was. She came in, she seized power, and even after uh, she was removed from direct power, she was placed on a council, which she would de- then began gaming the system. There's a really cool story about the Wildhammer representative well, and why it ended up being Falstad. There's- 
There's you something know, we that, also didn't talk about either, too. She has a trump card that, that we haven't talked about that is very that very much is present during uh, the the initial lockdown with Varian coming in. And part of an additional reason of why he didn't kill her. Yes. She has the only heir. She has a son. Yeah. Her son is the legitimate heir to both Dark the Bronzebeard and, and Dark Bronze Iron yep. Thrones. Uh, the only thing Moira has to do now is get a really wild, well-placed Wildhammer girl to marry him, and it's game over. And the the dwarves are united again, and it's one of those things yeah. where nobody can contest it. And yeah, that's and that's are. that's the interesting thing about it. Sorry, I don't mean to like it's it's no, fascinating right. because she's she's in this particular position of power, and she knows it. She can bide her time, and it's not for her. And that's the interesting thing. Like she could seize that power herself if she really, really wanted to. But ultimately, it's better for the dwarven people and her son and the lineage therein to just unite everything back together, even if it's not under her. Yeah, and that is what she is moving towards. So yes, she is subversive, but she is not subversive because she is like you know malevolently cackling in the background. Oh, my evil plan's almost complete. She's subversive because she knows she literally has to subvert. Mm-hmm. the culture they currently have to get her son on the throne and he belongs on the throne. It is his by right. And so their society is going to have to change one way or another. So she's going to change it. And You're absolutely correct in that. She exploited the situation in blood in the 100%. snow. Absolutely. She did. She knew they were afraid that she'd do something if they moved their forces. So she moved her forces because she knew they wouldn't do something additionally because they couldn't. It also let her display her power. And that's mm-hmm. another thing that uh, a lot of people, she had been sort of written off a lot. Uh, yeah, exactly. Her father she, had basically treated her like a, like a, like a thing. But, but not only that, but like nobody understood that she was actually capable of displaying real power. Like she is, she is literally a magic wielding. She's a, a priestess of the dark iron. She might be the only priestess of the dark iron that we know of. Um, it, she is able to manifest that power and she does so in the blood and the snow incident, which up until this point, she has not displayed. And it was a very, unless you were in the fight, unless unless you you were were in in the the black box fight. Yeah. The only people had seen it up to that point were a bunch of adventurers who killed her husband. Yep. And technically the same adventurers see it and report back again, but we wouldn't have reported it back then because we were just like dumbfounded and shocked that, yeah, she's there by her own choice, dude. Like she doesn't want to come back. She doesn't like you very much right now. She's going to stay there. Um, but this is her displaying her power in the open. Anybody, any of the Alliance forces could see it at this point and report back. And if you don't think that there are SI7 scouts watching that encounter, watching what she's doing, you would I mean, Varian's right there. There's absolutely yeah. no way. Yeah. No, Varian's literally standing there. There's no way he didn't have at least like 10 SI7 guys around. And then they go back and report to the rest of the council that, no, she she can call down the hurt. She can cause a lot of weird things to happen. She is very powerful, and she has talent that her father never displayed. Now she becomes that much more dangerous and can angle herself even better to to subvert that system. And, and at the same time, she rules the Dark Irons, but there's a big part of the Dark Irons who are just insane. Mm-hmm. They're nuts because a fire elemental god blew still up their home. And still whispers to them. Don't forget yeah, that. Absolutely. He blew up their home. He took over their people. He basically enslaved them yep. to build him like the place where he was going to rest and rebuild his power. Uh, yeah, so there's like... There's a lot of Ragnaros worshippers that she needs to root out. When you play a Dark Iron, that's a big part of like the the place where you get in. They're like, you know, you're going to be one of the Bastion. You're gonna, we're gonna root. You're gonna help us root them out. That's your role. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it is one of the reasons. I when Joe sent the email, I was like, we really need to talk about this. Um, what the thing that really caught me is a the Dark Iron stuff, but b. It is the complicated character that is Moira Bronzebeard. She she is one of my favorite characters because of that. Yeah. She is power hungry and willing to do a lot to gain power. She is not just a cartoon villain doing it because, you know, cackling moo ha ha ha. She's been slighted. But it's also it's also ignored her. It's also it's an end goal in mind though, too. Like that's that's the thing that makes it it it, I don't want to say redeeming for me, but it makes it fascinating is because everything she's doing, yes, a villain would do in a certain capacity, um, subverting the system, seizing power for the system, using things and manipulating things to her advantage, sure, but what is it all leading towards? And that's the thing that I think is fascinating. Because at the end of it, it's reuniting the dwarven clans. 
uniting the dwarven clans, and more importantly, ensuring that the people that would hurt her son are taken care of. Yes. Either they're destroyed, like the Dark Irons who worship Ragnaros and who don't recognize their, her son is legitimate because he's half Bronzebeard. Uh, they need to go. And so she is willing to do whatever it needs. We, we're only, we mostly only see her maneuvering on the other side from Ironforge mm-hmm. and when she's on that council. But she's doing just as much maneuvering in the Dark Iron ranks. Like when Stonebreaker says that she's a subversive, the thing is, is that I think she was genuinely angry about Ambassador Slaghammer, but I also think she very deliberately wanted to get him killed by you. Yeah. 100%. Because that way she can look back at the dark irons and say, look, he betrayed me and they killed him. I, I couldn't do anything. You know, she's got plausible deniability. She can keep working against the, the people who are like trying to get her son, you know, excluded without actually having to put her hand on it. And at the same time, like blood in the snow, she can step up and lead the Alliance. And by doing that, when she brings the, when she does the blood, blood and snow move, she brings the dark irons forth as part of the Alliance. They're fighting for the Alliance. This is the first time dark irons have actually seen the surface from the perspective of an ally. Mm-hmm. And they're fighting alongside these people. Now they've seen those people and those people have seen them. It normalizes them. It's, she's really quite brilliant. It's actually, I, one of the reasons I like the Legion story where Magni comes back is that Magni finally recognizes her and, and accepts her ability. I was just going to bring that up. Like fault you lines, go for it. Talk fault, about it. Fault lines is huge. So fault lines was the comic that was released during Legion. It was one of the, um, the intro comics that sort of led up to it. And it was this brilliant retelling. I always shouldn't say retelling. It was this brilliant, uh, coming back of Magni to, Ironforge, which he hasn't done forever. Uh, and what does he find there? He finds his daughter, who, before he was awoken, we find out, was actually visiting him as he was in a mobile statue in Ironforge. Because don't forget, all the, the hammer stuff, all the console stuff, all the dwarf stuff that with the Vivarian stepping in happened while he was still an inanimate object in the basement of Ironforge communing with Azeroth. And so she's there when he wakes up and she's there when he leaves to go do his job. But it's when he comes back and it's this sort of like tender moment. The interesting thing is she gets the one thing she never had from him while he wasn't a giant crystal man. And it's sort of this validation and acceptance. It's the I've seen the person you've grown up to be and I'm proud of you. And I don't think he says it exactly like that. There's there's the his own particular way of saying it. But the last panel always sticks with me in this comic. And it's her watching him go off and her crying for the first time, like showing an emotion that isn't like imperial. And it's just the two of them. There's nobody else around. But it's just this tender moment that he understands, like he knows because she's been talking to him. He heard every word she said while he was immobile. And he's like, I know what you're doing. I'm proud of you. Keep going. I've got other stuff to do. I'll be back. And we see other interactions through like novels and things like that, where Magni hasn't seen his grandson yet. And that might become a time where he does. And I think that might be the final play. And I think they might be building up to that because if Magni, who is now the speaker of Azeroth now publicly accepts his daughter publicly accepts his grandson. That's the final nail in the coffin. Nobody, nobody can gainsay or deny that at that point. Who would? Yeah. When, when Magni comes back, like he's, he's literally been immobile the whole time. He wakes up and she starts moving around. They are like, um, do we give back the throne to him then? And he's the one that tells him no. Like they were willing to just say, okay, you're king again. And he's always like, no, I will never be king again. Uh, what I have to do now is, is just more important than leading one kingdom. You've got, you've got these people leading you. That'll, that'll have to do. Um, and you can tell part of that was, as he says to Moira, the, the, the scene Joe's talking about is really well done because she had no idea he, he heard any of it. Mm-hmm. So when he says something, she's like, you heard me. He goes, yeah, I heard all of it. You know, and he's finally figured out that he was wrong. And there's a whole thing about when you talk, there's a bit where he's trying to talk to Azeroth when he's first become speaker where he, he basically focuses on the fact that when he was being a, a father to Moira, the reason he failed was because he tried too hard to make her be what he wanted her to be. Mm-hmm. 
because he was afraid. He was afraid to lose her. He was afraid that something would happen to her. And so he had to learn not to do that this time uh, when dealing with Azeroth. Much, much larger child, but still same basic principle. Um, and it's just, it is really, it's a really good exchange between the two of them. And it it shows that Moira, again, is she a, is she a, 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 a Machiavellian leader? Absolutely, she is. She's fiendishly clever. Um, there is no debating this. You You can't... You look at the things she's done since. Yeah, Moira Bronzebeard, definitely someone to watch. But she's not doing this stuff because she's a cartoon supervillain. She's doing it because she realizes her society has to change. Um, and it, it is actually really interesting. She is one of the better characters. I really kind of hope we get more of her in the future. Like, we kind of haven't seen her much since, uh, I'd say, the end of the end of uh, Legion Pandaria. And the, we saw her in Legion, but like, she's not... As, as central in Legion as she was at the end of Pandaria, where she really steps up and you see her. Um, so I would definitely like to see more of her. I absolutely would as well. And I think we should probably uh, bring up the last question here, uh, last section of the question, since we are coming up on uh, towards the end of our time. So the the last part of it was, as for the Dikarns themselves, are they inherently sneaky, secretive, and the rest of it? Or is it just that they spend a lot of time being enslaved by genuinely bad people like Theresean, Modgood, and Ragnaros? Does the Alliance have a more negative view of them because the humans met the Bronzebeards first, or does the Alliance just find them convenient? They seemed fully integrated into the Alliance war effort in BFA, but some of their quests are on the nasty side, like burning 200 goblins with a fire golem. They are by far my favorite race in World of Warcraft, and I'd love to know more about them. All right, well, I'm going to throw some stuff out here, and then you can throw sure. some stuff out, Go Joe. Go for it. But- it, it is fair to say that their clan was founded by people that preferred subterfuge and occultism yep. and all that. That's that's who they were when they started. It is not fair to say they were enslaved by Thorson or Modgood. Thorson and Modgood led them, but they were they were basically accepted as their leaders. They were not imposed on them. Ragnaros absolutely did impose himself on them. He absolutely did enslave them, mm-hmm. but those two before him did not. Uh, for better or for worse... They followed Thorasan and Modgood because they were, to a great degree, the, the, the Dark Irons felt cheated and slighted. Why did they have to leave? Why did they have to go off? Sure, the Wildhammers did, but that was their business. They wanted to. The, the, the Dark Iron didn't want to leave. They wanted to rule. Why shouldn't they rule? Why should it be the Bronzebeards? You know? and, and that question was really never actually answered. Why did the Bronzebeards get to rule and they didn't? There's, there's no real adequate answer here. The only the answer Bronzebeards is politics. Were, yeah, the Bronzebeards were no more a royal line than the, the Dark Irons were. The Bronzebeards were not the Anvilmars. They just kind of stole the Anvilmar kingdom out from under them. Clearly, you know, the Dark Irons might have been sinister, but that's that's a betrayal. No matter how you look at it, it's not like the Bronzebeards had the moral high ground here. Mm-hmm. This was just one group decided they were going to be in charge, and another group didn't agree. So... When they left, they they built their own kingdom, but they were never happy about what happened, and they decided they wanted payback. They wanted to get up and go back to where, which was just as much their ancestral home as it was the Bronzebeards, and they'd rule. Why shouldn't they? And if the Wildhammers were going to try and stop them, which they probably would, they'd have to be dealt with too. But it wasn't it wasn't like you know genuinely bad people enslaved us to do this. It's genuinely bad people convinced us this was the right thing to do by playing on the things that we already felt. Uh, which is the way a lot of things happen like in life. People, there, there are people at the top who are pretty bad, but they, the people that they get to do their dirty work aren't always, it's not, they're not doing it because they're evil. They're doing it because it makes sense to them. That's what happened at first. When Ragnaros came along, it was very much a case of we're all under the thumb of an insane fire elemental god who in no way, shape, or form cares about us at all and who will burn us all to death if we don't do what he says. So yeah, that 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 definitely had an effect on their culture and still has an effect on them. What would you say about the Alliance, though, their view of them? So a lot of the thing the Alliance has to do with sort of their – that has something to do with it as well because you can't not know that they were involved in bringing Ragnaros here. Uh, first and foremost, the you just look at the area, look at the Blasted Lands, look at Searing Gorge, and Red Ridge is right next door. There's no way they didn't feel that, hear that, or see that. Um and, you know, you send your scouts and you say, oh, yeah, there's a giant fire elemental. Oh, by the way, our, we're hearing tell that the Dark Iron Dwarves are the ones that summoned it. Oh, that's no good. We've just lost huge swaths of swaths of land because of it. That's a problem, especially when you're trying to feed a kingdom and you're losing verdant land. That's a big deal. Um, 
especially after in the aftermath of how many wars at this point, uh, it's a big deal when you can't do any of that stuff to recover, when you, you start to notice that. But I also think their use of magic plays a large role in it because originally, and this is sort of game mechanics informing lore, informing game mechanics sort of feedback loop. Originally, dwarves were supposed to be able to be mages and warlocks up front. Um, this is in the manual. I literally have the vanilla uh, World of Warcraft book sitting on my desk right now. They were there. When the game released, they weren't there. And it was because of whatever reason they decided to pull them back. But that became the Dark Iron. That became the mythos around the Dark Iron Dwarves. And so you have folks that are not in the Kirin Tor, but they still wield powerful magics, powerful enough to summon an elemental uh, Fire Lord that has existed in time and memoriam. Uh, they have strange magics that you've possibly never seen before, and they live in a mountain where you know that there are Blackrock orcs and warlocks are a thing. These are all things that the Alliance are not exactly keen on. Yes, the Alliance makes use of warlocks, but remember in the early days, it wasn't a widely accepted practice. Yeah, if you played a warlock in vanilla... You had to go to a basement. Yeah, yeah you had to go to the basement of the Shady Inn. And it was like, I literally think it was called the Shady Inn. It was called the Shady, the Shady Inn, yeah. Yeah, you had to go down into the basement to, to find your warlock trainer, and he was like, shh, don't be so loud. I don't want people to know. And don't don't summon don't summon your imp in public. What are you doing? Like yeah. it was it was a very secretive thing. It was a very we do this because we have to, not because we want to type of 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 thing. And that is kind of how they view the dark irons, who are supposed to be super steeped into the occult and magic and the dark arts. Of course, you're not going to trust them. Of course, you're going to inherently think that they're sneaky. Uh, it's very similar to you know, looking at some of the magic users, like let's say DC comics and how many of them uh, quote unquote use the dark arts and are viewed as like less trustworthy. And as a matter of fact, like they only go to them, like when they absolutely have no other out looking at Constantine, look at Zatanna, look at like all these other magic users. It's the same thing. It's just got this inherently dark vibe to it. And yes, part of it is that they've been dealing with the Bronzebeards as well. And think about that for a second. If you are dealing with, let's say, Magni the entire time uh, in your relations, which, you know, you have your tram connected, you're trading back and forth, your king and their king or your regent and their king are dealing and, and trading and doing whatever they're doing. And you're hearing stories. You're hearing stories from a particular point of view about what the war was about what Dwarven society is. And now you're informed by a very select, narrow view. And it's from the Bronzebeards, who, to them, at this time, originally would have viewed it as, yeah, we were ch chosen as the rightful heirs of the United Dwarven Kingdoms, and they didn't want to accept us. I don't know why they didn't want to accept us, and it led to this whole big war and this loss of life and everything else. Yeah. It's going to color your perception. I mean, keep in mind, too, that while dwarves live longer than humans, they're not elves. This is the stories we're telling you are like two and then one generation ahead of Magni and his, his rule. Like Magni didn't experience any of that. Mm -hmm. He grew up after it. He grew up in the kingdom made by it. He grew up thinking of the wild hammers as their distant friends and the dark irons as their, their horrible enemies. He didn't to him, the idea that the, the wild hammers and the dark and the dark irons ever lived in Ironforge. I mean, he might know it, but it's not, what he experienced. It's not how his view of the world was shaped. We have a saying about how the victor writes the history, but we never even think about the fact that the victor lives a different history, you know, to the, to Bronzebeards. Yeah, this is what happened that why shouldn't we be, you know, we were related to the Anvil Mars. If they, if the Anvil Mars boy wasn't suitable to be King, who else would be, uh, but to the other two clans, no, the wild hammers clearly to the wild hammers. It was simply a matter of, we, we accepted it when it wasn't any of the other clans, when it was one specific family that ruled everybody. We accepted that. We're not accepting that your clan can just step up and be in charge of us now. Mm -hmm. you know, we're your equals. We will not be ruled by you, as Joe pointed out. The Dark Iron situation, again, they had their reasons. To them, they seemed reasonable. They did not seem reasonable to the other clans. And Magni grew up in the aftermath. He grew up in the aftermath of the aftermath. Think, think of the think about the quest that we talked about earlier, where you're sent to go get his daughter back. The text on that quest is go get her from those despicable minions of darkness, essentially. Like I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially the vibe you get. Like it's not the go get it from our kin that, you know, we 
we don't see eye to eye with or go go see what's going on with it no, and try to no, get her back. It's not. it's yeah. murder him, murder everything that stands in your way. They do not matter. They are dark and evil worshipers and bring my daughter back. That's essentially what it is. So yeah, this is this is his perception of it. And it's definitely tainting everybody that interacts with him around them. And, and everybody if, loved Magni. Yeah. Yeah, Magni was super popular in the Alliance. Uh, the, 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 you know, humans loved him. He did, he did multiple favors for them. His brother was Arthas's tutor, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, he accompanied Arthas to Northrend. Uh, he, he's the one who got hit in the head and almost killed when, when, uh, Arthas claimed Frostmourne. So bronze, bronze, a fixture. How many, how many times have you seen bronze, bronze doing quests and stuff? Bronze, a literal fixture. You constantly run into him. So the Bronzebeard family, that is, in many ways, that's how the other alliance groups see the dwarves. Yep. So, yeah, um, if he if they think the Dark Irons are all sinister and evil, it's going to spread. Uh, as to the way the alliance views them now, um, I, I don't know if Joe and I will agree, so I'm going to like say mine and let's see, let Joe jump in. I think they view them as useful and accept them because they're, they're directly under Moira, but they definitely give them the side eye. I would agree with that. And I think that's part of the thing that they're trying to change. And I think that we're going to see an element of change coming, I think, in the future because of how Moira is positioning things. And I think that's part of her end goal is to break that stigma, which is why, you know, she's going after the occultists. She's going against the Dark Seekers, not just to keep her son safe, but to show that she's capable of cleaning house. Like, that's a dual thing, right? Look at look at all these these Ragnaros worshiping supporters that I just rooted out and murdered to make sure that we didn't have any dark descent in our lines. People that would move against us in the future, move against the alliance in the future, have been removed. I'm doing what I can. I'm making the necessary sacrifices so that all of us can be safe. She's doing this very smartly. And now when her dad comes back, he's the speaker of Azeroth. And he even says at the end of that comic, maybe we can be a family again because I was a terrible dad to you. I acknowledge that I was a horrible father to you. I can do better, but I have to do this first. I have a larger child to take care of right this moment, and then I want to come back, and I want to be part of this family again. Do you think anybody's going to tell Magni, I'm made out of diamond, Bronzebeard, no, if he's bouncing his grandson on his knee, and he says, yep, this is the king of all dwarves. I speak for Azeroth. Nobody's going to tell him no. Yeah, no one. And <laughs> and she she gets that, but I do also believe that she genuinely wants yes. that for herself and her son. Not she just absolutely does. Not just as a maneuvering ploy. That's why she's a fascinating character. She can simultaneously make emotional decisions, but at the same time, she keeps her eye on what those emotional decisions will do. She is probably the yeah. best leader in the alliance, as far as I'm concerned, in regards of that. Yeah, at least right now. Yeah, at least right now, because right. if you look at every other leader in the alliance, every single one of them makes very emotional decisions. Gen Greymane's getting better; like he's getting a lot yeah. better about it. But every other single one of them, even Anduin, is 100 percent led by their emotions, and they the consequences be damned. Yeah, I think Jaina has actually also pulled back from that a bit. I would agree. I think, yeah, yeah, Jaina is probably the second best. But Moira is the one who keeps her eyes on the prize. Yep. Like she does not, she doesn't make stupid decisions because they would be like, they would make her feel better. She, decisions she makes are based entirely on her goals. Uh, She may have feelings and she will show those feelings, but she does not let her feelings endanger what she has been trying to do. Yeah. But I, so yeah, that was a lot of us rambling based on your question. (laughs) Ember blade. But thank you very much for sending that in. Uh, I always like talking about dark iron dwarves. Uh, I really do. I think they're fascinating. Generally, we both like talking about dwarves in general. I would agree. Yeah. Because they have a really interesting history that doesn't get touched on nearly enough. I would agree. Like all the distant, like we get a lot of the Titan stuff. We get a lot of the earthen and long, long ago stuff, but they've got stuff that's much more recent. Like the whole thing we just talked about that very rarely comes up. And, and to understand that they were a, a powerhouse of an empire for a very long time, Mm -hmm. like into, to to acknowledge that or, or to talk about that is always great. I'm always going to be happy to discuss that because I think they're, they're what I'm there. They are my favorite Alliance race. I will flat out say that. I think that they have some of the most intricate and complicated backstory and I'm here for, but I think that's going to do it for us today, folks. 
Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And if you do have questions for this podcast or any of our other podcasts, this includes Tavern Watch or the Blizzard Watch podcast, be sure to send them into podcast at, yeah, yeah. Wow. I can't talk today, folks. I apologize. Podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, just make sure you specify which show the question is for. Uh, if you are a Patreon supporter, you can go ahead and use our Patreon supporter uh, channel. Uh, we have a Patreon Q and podcast questions channel. Go ahead and throw them there. Uh, we tend to look there first as a way of saying thank you for those that do support us on Patreon. Uh, and if not, and you don't want to send an email, we do have a regular Q uh, questions channel. You can throw them in there. Again, just specify what show it is for. And as a last reminder, folks, all of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard and the entire game industry as a whole in demanding change for a better tomorrow, a safer work environment. Uh, So thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.